Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. I, I love following Tanner because his jokes are so bad. It makes me, it's all uphill after Tanner gets through offending us and telling us bad jokes. So thank you, Tanner. It's great to have residents to do it for us. Hope you guys had a great holiday season. Was it good? Was it good? Awesome. Awesome. We're have a great year. We got, we got a new year coming up. We got a new decade as a church. God's going to do some really, really great things. Hey, I want to celebrate a few things with you, and then I've got a request. Um, first of all, I want to celebrate what happened on Christmas Eve. If you weren't here, Brady preached last week. And by the way, did he not do a phenomenal job if you were here? Great message. If you missed it, those of you who are clapping were here. The rest of you were skiing. Download it, and it was really, really good. But he mentioned this. In our eight services, we had 1,200 people, and we had 108 people surrender their lives to Jesus. Is that cool? So I got to thank you once again. Every time we, we have a holiday season, Easter, Christmas, or a big day, and we pray for our friends, you guys pray hard, and you invite boldly, and you bring your friends, and we just see God do the most amazing things. So thank you so much for really going for it this last Christmas season. And then also, we had a year in offering to uh, support the young adult ministry that Tanner just talked about, and apparently most of us don't qualify to be a part of, but you know... <laughs> We want to be a multi-generational church, and so we've got a lot of young adults. We've got D in our backyard, and so we raise money for that. And for four church plants, we're going to help support 10 church, church plants this year, four from that offering, and then our refugee partnership with Hope in Our City. And then we're going to fix up the building, which we'll begin doing after Easter, after the winter season kind of gets behind us. And our goal was $250,000, and we raised $223,000. That's still really, really good. Can put our hands together? Yeah. So thank God for being so generous to us, and thank those of you, I want to thank those of you who, who engaged and participated in that. Thank you so much for being so generous and excited to see what God's going to do with these resources as we go into the next year. Uh, one thing I want to ask of you, so it's kind of full today, if you haven't noticed. Nine o'clock was this full, if not more full. Uh, right now, the seats that we put in the back are not very desirable because people come right into those seats off that little tiny entryway that we're going to fix after Easter. And so um, we're needing to kind of offload some seats at 9 and 10.30. Most people want to go to church at 9 and 10.30, and so I'm going to ask for you to be missionaries, which means to be displaced on behalf of someone else. You up for this? So we have a 12 o'clock service. Here's my pitch. It's awesome. Cool kids go to 12 o'clock. They sleep in. They go to Starbucks. They get to read the paper, rounds of golf. They go skiing. They do all kinds of great stuff that you're not doing right now because you're here. So I need 50 of you to go to 12 o'clock to free up seats for our unchurched friends. Do I have any takers? Raise your hands. Right, come on, big and high, big and high, really high. Okay, we got like five, five, okay. Do I have six? Do I, I see six, do I see seven, eight, nine? Okay, I'm gonna keep asking the next few weeks, but here's, here's my request. If you raise your hand, and we're like that really quickly, we need a little accountability, so if you could put your name on a connection card with some contact information, and on the backside put 12 o'clock, we'll include you on that team. I'll ask the 9 o'clock people also next week. So we're going to keep doing that until we get 50 people because we got a little building. We have to make the most of it. Okay? All right? Yeah. Okay, let's jump in. So 21 days of prayer. We, we did this last year. It was really awesome because on the heels of it, we saw God do some amazing things. And so this is not just a series of messages titled Pray First. This is about an initiative. It's about us as we go into the new year focusing on God, putting God first because when we pray first, we put God first. And so my, my prayer for us has been during the season that we'd all experience some revival of our faith. And that if we've wandered from our truest love, our first love, we would come home. And I, I look at the last decade, like you have probably been doing as well, and reflecting on what happened. It was a great decade in so many ways. 
And uh, our economy was awesome. Like, you know, the fluence just went like, that's up into the left, up into the right, okay? But whenever affluence goes up into the right, spiritual apathy also often goes up and to the right, right? So if you read the scriptures, every time God just blesses Israel with affluence, they wander away from God. And so I'm praying that, and all, all of us do this, that all of us would come home the next 21 days to God and that we'd rededicate ourselves to him and that we would realize once again, he's our first love and that he and he alone can satisfy the desires of the human heart. So I'm praying that for us. I'm praying we all experience awakening and revival. And then I'm praying it will just spill over into our community and into our world. Uh, my eyes were, were opened this holiday season. First of all, if you didn't hear, I had this guy try to attack me in the park. And um, all, all the people I know that know street, the streets of Denver very well say he had to be on meth. And then three days after that happened, I was at the Starbucks on Broadway. And there was a woman uh, who was acting kind of funny. And she was with her credit card getting ready to get a line of something. I don't know what it was. And so my eyes have been open to how broken this neighborhood is. I used to go to Colfax with our church plants to do outreach ministry. And I'm realizing we got a lot of outreach to do right here. There's a lot of people really broken, really hurting. Alan's here. We have the well. I think that thing's going to explode with people who need help and who need to become free from their addictions. Uh, during the holiday season, some of us would go over to Safeway and give $5 gift cards with invitations to our Christmas Eve services. And you would have thought some of these people had just won the lottery. They were so happy to get a $5 gift card. After one of our Christmas Eve services, I went uh, to the grocery store to get a few things on my way home. And this woman was locked out of her car, and she had no money. She was kind of hysterical, didn't have insurance. I mean, just I gave her 20 bucks, And again, you would have thought I just gave her the lottery or something. She was so happy to have a $20 bill. And so there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of brokenness in this neighborhood. We gave bags and bags of food to people over at Grant Beacon, and uh, we've got a Love Does team that's going to begin to put together a calendar of ways we can serve this local community as we go into this next year. But this community needs us to be on fire for Jesus. This community needs us to be in love with God, because if we're in love with God and God's pouring his love into us through prayer, it'll spill out into this community. Amen? Amen. So that's our desire for this, this series, is that we come back to our first love, we would have a new, fresh awakening of his spirit in our lives, our church. It would pour into our community. We'd bless our community. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples, they see Jesus, and he's off doing what he typically would do. He'd pray. And, and they saw this, and they did not want to interrupt him, but they were attracted to what they saw because they saw this, this deep connection between Jesus and his heavenly Father, and they saw his power and his wisdom, and they, they surmised that it must be because of a prayer. He's so connected to him. And so they wanted to learn how to pray the way Jesus prayed. And so after he finished praying, one of the disciples came over to him and said, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And so we have that prayer in, in Luke chapter 11. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but we have a more expanded version of it in, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And we're going to read that prayer together. And those of you who may have grown up in church, you may have memorized different translations. So whenever I do this, it's like a cacophony, okay? <laughs> different versions debt, sin, thy, thou, he, she, I mean, all kinds of stuff. So let's just enjoy the cacophony together, shall we? All right. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
debts, trespasses, sin, it all works. Thank you. Good job. All right. Yeah, well, in other, tra- I'm glad you brought that up. In, in uh, some translations, it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. The NIV did not add that because it was not discovered in the earliest manuscripts we have that are the basis of our New Testament. So they left out that part, but I like it. So maybe we'll do that too. Okay. All right. All right. So here's what we're going to do. The next few weeks, we're going to take a verse at a time and go through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't memorized it, to memorize it. It's how Jesus is going to teach us how to pray. So let's memorize this prayer together. And then each week, we'll take a verse. And every word in every verse is so full of gospel truth and love and grace. We're going to try to unpack each verse one week at a time. You up for that? Should we pray? We kind of just did, but let's do it again. Father, thank you so much for everyone who's here today. And I pray that where we find ourselves on our journey, that you'd, you'd meet us, you'd speak to us, you'd encourage us. And I, I thank you, Jesus, that you came in the world not only to show us how to find our way back to God, but you came to show us how to live our lives in the here and now. And that includes how to pray. And so will you please teach us, as you did your disciples 2,000 years ago, to pray. Our prayer right now is, Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Um, two things we're going to talk about based on verse 9. Why do we want to pick God first? Kind of a basic question, right? We're going to seek God first, though. Why should we do that and reflect on why it's so important to put God first, why we would want to put God first this year, and then how do we pray in such a way that we keep God first this next year, okay? For the three of you that are outlining. You're an outliner. Thank you for doing that. Okay, so let's start with why God alone is worthy of being first in our lives. So Jesus starts with Father, our Father. And this was pretty radical back in his day, both in Jewish society and in, in Roman society. They just didn't think of God as, as their father. So we get a little glimpse into the worldview. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. It's a little background. In, in Roman and Jewish society, the only people who could adopt were, were fathers. Only the men could do adoption. It was usually very expensive as it still is today. I did a wedding a few weeks ago, and there was this couple. They adopted six kids. They showed me this picture. It was beautiful. this kaleidoscope of culture and ethnicity. It was beautiful, but they told me it's been very expensive. <laughs> it was expensive back then, too, but only the fathers could adopt. They usually only adopted sons because it was a very patriarchal society. Often the sons were slaves. But, but this verse is the gospel in a verse. And it teaches us so much about God's heart for us and about our position towards God apart from Christ. And so the gospel is good news, but to understand the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And the bad news is that apart from Christ, we are members of God's creation, but we are not children of God. Did you catch that? We're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2 that apart from Christ... We're children of wrath. That's the bad news. That's what sin has done to us. But because of Christ, we can be adopted back into the family of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. Now, this is interesting. When Jesus was on the cross, did he pray to God as his father? No. Thank you. Was that Jeff that said that? Okay, somebody else knows. Did not pray to God as his father, he prayed to God as his God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he pray that way? 
Because on the cross, Jesus lost his sonship so we could gain ours. For a moment in time, he lost his place as the son of God so that we could be adopted back into the family of God, so we could be sons and daughters of God. Is that good news? But it came at a big price. It's expensive today to adopt kids. It was very, very expensive for God to adopt us and bring us back into his family. And he wants everyone to be back in his family. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ into the world. That's the gospel in a nutshell. I'm reading this book right now by a man named Jack Frost called Experiencing the Father's Embrace. It's coming at a good time in my life. Uh, this is a man who, he died when he was 54, so he's a little older than I was or would, would be if he was still alive. But his story kind of goes like this. He grew up with uh, survivor parents, like World War II parents, and uh, my parents were of that generation. And, and that generation, they, they're known as the great generation, but they weren't known as being the great generation when it came to showing love and giving affection to their kids because they were scraping out of the war and rebuilding a country, and they had to be really, really tough. And so this man's father was really, really tough and really hard on him, trying to like, prepare him for a harsh world. And he was uh, growing up during the hippie generation, and his father actually tried to pin him down one time to cut his hair because he grew his hair too long. So a really rough relationship with his father. And then he almost died of L- an LSD overdose. And in the hospital, he, he came out of this drug-induced fog. And for the first time in his life, his father was stroking his hair and said, I love you. And that was an extremely healing moment in his life, and it began to change the trajectory of his life. And then he, he discovered the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he gave his life to Christ. But as many of us know, it takes a long time to get the gospel from here down into here and for it to be our experience that we live in. And so he was a, a ship captain, and apparently this is like a thing, being the top hook. If you're a, like the sailor of a ship and you're in the fishing industry, guys will do this. Like top gun, you know, in the Navy, well, I guess if you're in the fishing industry, you want to be top hook, which means you're, the, you're catching more fish than anybody else. So he was driven every year to be top hook through this fishing boat that he ran off the coast of North Carolina. And he ran his crew ragged, and he would come home, and he drank. He was addicted to pornography, and he yelled at his kids and his wife. But he kept growing spiritually. It's a process, right? And, and then eventually he left the fishing industry, and he went into ministry. And he did what a lot of us pastors do. He, he tried to fill that, that vacuum inside with ministry accomplishments. So he went from being top hook to trying to be like top pastor. Happens a lot. And his wife and his family continued to languish because of the lack of love they felt from him. And then he went to this conference where the Holy Spirit was just so, so thick. And this woman was preaching on on the love of God, the Father, for his beloved children. And he had this deep, deep encounter with the Holy Spirit and with God's love. And it began to just revolutionize his life. He wept and wept for weeks, repenting to his family and his, his kids, his wife, and it It changed the whole course of his life. And I share this story with you because what God wants for us is not just to have a theology of his love. He wants that love to go from our minds down into our hearts. And it will not transform us until it becomes an experience. But we can't have the experience unless we get quiet. And we experience solitude and silence and we spend time with our Heavenly Father. So why do we want to seek God first? Why do we want to make prayer a priority Because we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted back into the family of God. And God wants us to experience that love and get it into our hearts so it will change our lives. 
Second reason that God is worthy of being first in our lives as we go into this new year is because he wants to give us heaven now. Jesus said, pray to your Father who is in heaven. And the word for heaven, it's Uranus in, in Greek, and it means atmosphere. So what makes heaven heaven is God is in the atmosphere. It's the presence of God that makes heaven such a great place. So in the afterlife, we'll make heaven such a wonderful place. will not be the streets of gold or whatever. It's all metaphor, but... You know, the great stakes, the great whatever, the great skiing. All that will, I think, be there. I hope it's going to be there. But the main thing that will make heaven such a great place is the presence of God. And if you've tasted what we're talking about here, that you've tasted the joy of being in the presence of God, that's what you want more than anything else. And C.S. Lewis said that the great business of heaven, the serious business of heaven, is joy. God wants us to have joy. But this is not just a future reality. It's also a present reality. So how many of you have tasted some heaven recently? Maybe the holiday season, your kids being in town, good meals, good skiing, lots of snow up there, God's presence, you felt this presence. Got some people tasting heaven? Okay. All right, right. How about some hell? Anybody experienced some hell recently? Okay. You gone through some hell recently? Come on, be honest. It's church. God's watching you. Okay. How about both? Any, any people been in heaven and hell together recently? Okay. Yes. Yes. It's possible to be in both, isn't it? At the same time. Have you noticed this? You can be in hell one minute and heaven the next or vice versa. So holiday season for us at the Johnson household was awesome. My son came in town, lots of good food, lots of good time with my family. We did a puzzle. We just chilled out for a couple days and went to Estes Park and did some, some snowshoeing and stuff. Just a great, great time. And I was just so grateful. I was just relishing in what God did in our eight Christmas Eve services. And then uh, about three days ago, I got on Instagram and isn't it interesting how you can be in heaven and then get on Instagram and you find yourself immediately in hell? <laughs> Have you noticed this? Because you start comparing yourself to other people. And so I'm, I'm looking at some guy who's like 20 years older than me going, how does he have an eight-pack? And he's like 80 years old. <laughs> or it's Sylvester Stallone, who's like 120. I go, he's got to be on drugs. Like, I don't even, I have no pack. I go, how? And I start comparing myself to some dude who's like old and shouldn't even have his shirt off. And then, and then... I'll start comparing myself to my pastor friends. I go, oh, my gosh, they had 1,000 baptisms last year. Wow, I should be really happy. We had 32. Um, and I'll keep comparing. You know, like we have church plants. So you know how you, when your kids go out, you want them to be successful. You want them to go to Harvard or whatever, be CEO and president and, you know, your daughters, your sons. But there's a party that goes, wow, they're doing better than me. I do that with our kids, our church plants. I go, whoa, okay, so you just gave so-and-so a new building on Colfax. It's three times bigger than ours. That's awesome, God. Wow, that's really cool. And then our other church, LifeGate, oh, yeah, we gave them a lot of money, and now they've got a building over on Hamden. It's humongous. I'm really happy. Yeah, so I start doing this, you know? And I start comparing myself, and I just, I, I go from heaven to the bowels of hell, like in seconds. And so Friday, I was trying to get out of hell. And, and I went for Mount Falcon's my place. I'm walking to Mount Falcon. It's becoming like my annual habit. I'm going to go more often. And, and I'm, I'm talking to God about what's going on inside of me. And, and my joy isn't there, right? And he, uh, he starts reminding me of things. He gently, as my heavenly father, he starts kind of wire brushing me just a little bit. And he says, you know, whenever you start comparing yourself to other people, that that's like the great thief of joy, right? It's going to rob you the joy, the heaven I want you to experience right now in my presence. And then he started reminding me of things like... Uh, Everyone's got a special assignment, and what gives us joy is just doing our assignment. 
Not, not comparing ourselves to somebody else's assignment, but just doing ours. That's where we find our joy. That's where we get to be our truest selves and do what God made us uniquely to do. And then he reminded me that as a church, we're in the multiplication business, not just the addition business. We're about multiplying disciples and multiplying churches to, for generations to come. He, he started just reminding me of things, reminding me of who I am. But the best part of my little journey up and down the hill was he just kept reminding me, you're my son. No accomplishment will fill your heart except knowing that you are my son and I love you. And you, you were an orphan, but you've been adopted. I chose you. I chose you to be in a relationship with me and to be in my family. This is what God wants for us. And he wants it now and he wants it for the future. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So we get a thimble of his presence, his joy now. We get oceans and oceans of it in the future. Is that a good reason to put God first as we go to the new year? One more reason. He's dedicated to us. He's more dedicated to us than anyone else. And so Jesus says, pray to our Father in heaven. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go around like hallowing things. Okay, so I had to go figure out what does hallowing mean? And, and there's two primary meanings. The first one is to recognize the holiness of something else or someone else. So Jeff is here today. He did a phenomenal message on holiness and the holiness of God. It was, the spirit was thick that day. He, it was moving. If you missed it, go listen to it. It was fabulous. A little synopsis about holiness. It, it means to be separated and become more useful, to be separated for a good purpose. And God loves to separate things like land from sea, day from night, animals from human beings, Genesis chapter 1. He separates things so they can come back together and form a union that's far more powerful and rich than when they were apart. Two weddings in the last week, I did one, went to another. And I love it when I'm doing a wedding. I'm 18 inches between two people who are very separate, very different from each other, but they're coming together to form a union. It's beautiful. It's a little, little picture of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a little picture of what God wants with us. He wants union. He separated himself from us in his holiness. He has to because of our, our greed and our injustice and our pride. He's had to separate himself so that he can unite with us and make us holy like he is. You follow me? But also he wants us to hallow his name and remember, he's dedicated to us, and he wants us to return the favor and be dedicated to him because he knows that whatever we are most dedicated to will form us, will shape us more than anything else. St. Augustine said, what's most important about every single human being is not what they do or even what they believe, but what they love the most. Whatever we love the most will shape us like nothing else. So if you love money, and the Bible doesn't say money is a bad thing, is the love of money. That's, that's a bad thing. Because if you love money more than you love God or anything else, you will become a commodity. You will commodify yourself. You commodify other people. If it's achievements, which is my idol, you'll cease to be a human being. You'll become a human doing. If it's your family, which is a significant cultural idol for us, especially if you're in a younger generation, you're Gen X. A lot of us, we grew up in homes. We're like latchkey kids. So Parenting tends to swing back and forth between underparenting and overparenting. The current generation, myself included, we, we overparent. But if you're more dedicated to your kids and your family than you are to God, you will set goals for your kids that will mess them up. As you get older, you look back and you go, what was I thinking? 
I set the wrong goals because I had my eyes on the wrong thing. I was more dedicated to my family than I was to God. Trust me on this. 1.0 family, 2.0. I got new ways of screaming at my kids I'm working on right now. <laughs> I look back and I go, whenever I was more dedicated to them than God, I, messed up. I made some bad decisions, set some bad goals. Point being, whatever we are most dedicated to will form us and shape our lives. And so God wants us to hallow his name so he can shape us more than anything else. Because we were made to bear his image. We're made to be our truest selves, and we can't be apart from worshiping him. So three reasons in one verse for putting God first this year. We were orphans. He's adopted us. We're now his beloved children. He wants to give us heaven now and in the future. He's dedicated to us more than anyone else. And so he wants us to dedicate ourselves to him so he can shape us back into his image and so we can be our truest selves. Are those good reasons to put God first? I think so. I think so. So let's talk about how to pray in such a way that we keep God first this year. So we go to the example of Jesus, and we watch him, because he's not just our, our way to you know, the afterlife. He's our way to life right now. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says that he departed in the dark, I'm paraphrasing, left the house, went to a solitary place, and was praying there. And this was his habit. Okay? So he made prayer a priority. He did it the first thing in the morning. Now, if you're an evening person, don't worry. You're not going to get judged. I'm going to help you out here in a second, okay? But for Jesus, his best time was the morning. So he would get up in the morning, and, and he would go pray. That was how he made God his priority. Uh, I'm a morning person. And I use this verse to justify the fact I get up in the dark, and I go outside, and I go walk, and I go pray. But I now have a curfew. My wife has given me a curfew. My parents used to say, nothing after midnight is good. You've you got to come home. My wife now says, nothing good happens before 5.30 a.m. Because of what happened a few weeks ago. So I've got to wait till 5.30. But I'm a morning person, so that works for me. Okay? Maybe you're an evening person. Uh, biblically, actually, the, the day begins the night before. In Genesis chapter 1, there was evening, there was morning, the first day, evening, morning, second day. So if you're like, you know, a lark, owl, owl, not lark. If you're an owl, you're a night person, that's the beginning of your day. Uh, for my wife, she, she's trash in the morning. She's up all night feeding kids because I don't have the tools to do that. And uh, the morning is nuts at the Johnson household, so there's no way she's going to get up and spend time with God. She's trying to get every bit of sleep she can, but nighttime, that's her time. What's your time? When are you at your best? You know, a number of us around here, we tithe. We give 10% plus of our income away. What if we tithe our time this year? If we're going to put God first, why don't we give him our very best energy? Before we check Instagram or the news or feed the dog or whatever, go to the gym, why don't we put God first? So Jesus did this. He made, he made prayer a priority. He gave it his best energy of the day. Uh, he also had a place. We don't know where he went, but he went to some solitary place that he maybe scouted out the day before as he was traveling. Do you have a place, like a holy place, a place set apart so that you can experience union with God? Some of you, it might be your bed. There is no shame in just staying on the covers. I do it sometimes. I love it, especially on a cold day. Just make that your prayer place. Now, maybe it's your kitchen table. Maybe it's your most comfortable chair. Maybe it's the front porch. Maybe it's your office. Maybe it's outside. I know people who go crazy with this. They make a prayer closet. You got candles and incense and Bibles and stuff like that. That's you. You go, Glenn Coco. You go. That's your thing, right? But do you have a place, a place where, where you meet God? And then finally, do you have a plan? Now, fortunately, we have a plan given to us in the Lord's Prayer from Jesus. If you're not trying to pray, let's just memorize this. And I promise you, the more you're in Scripture and the more you grow in your relationship with God, 
the more every single word in this prayer will take you all kinds of directions. You will not find prayer to be a boring, redundant thing. It will take your mind all over the place. It's a, it's a soul-expanding prayer. That's why I want us to memorize it. But he's given us a way to pray. It's the Lord's Prayer. Do you have a way to be in the scriptures? Maybe next few weeks you just memorize the Lord's Prayer. You make that your meditation. Uh, we have an app. We've got all kinds of resources. We've got a, a Bible plan. There's version, which is an app. It has like a gazillion uh, Bible reading programs. But do you have a plan for being in the scriptures this year and, and meditating on them and getting the word of God in you? Do you have a plan? Got to make it a priority? Need a place? Need a plan. Lots of resources on our app and our website to help you with that. Uh, including, by the way, a 21-day prayer journal. If you just want to pray with us as a church, we're going to try to pray some of the same prayers together, pray for some of the same things, each other, city, state, that kind of thing. Okay, let me end with this. Um, in, in the evening, I, my, my, I put my son to bed. And it's one of the favorite, my favorite times of the day. I love my time with the Lord in the morning. I love from 8 o'clock on because Chris and I can actually like hang out and I have kids interrupt us. That's our time to connect. But we put our kids to bed around 8 o'clock. And Emery's out like a light. Now she's up the rest of the night waking us up, but she's out quickly. Chester takes a while. And we have a little two-bedroom bungalow. And so we've got a bed in our room. And so I go in there, I put him down, and we do a little prayer. He puts his little hands together. We do a little prayer. And not that creepy prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. That is the creepiest prayer ever. <laughs> if I should die before I wake, do not pray that. That's one of those things that will ruin your kids. Don't, don't do that. So I don't pray that prayer. But we, we pray a little prayer together, and then uh, he holds my finger. He grabs on, and we stay there together and until he lets go, which is when he falls asleep. And I'll, I'll whisper in his ear over and over again, I love you so much. Chester, I love you so much. And last night, there's some happy song on Sesame Street. I have no idea what it is. I'm not there during the day. But he kept seeing the happy song, but he only knows one word. He just kept saying happy. Happy, 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 happy. He was happy because he was with his daddy, feeling his daddy's love. And that's the image I want to leave you with, that every single day, our Heavenly Father, he just wants us to grab onto his finger and find our happiness and our joy in him. And he wants us to let go at night and then wake up the next day, grab his finger, and just do it all over again. So that's why we're doing this series. God is worthy of being first in our lives. We're going to pray first so we can keep him first. So I've got a little tool for you to help you uh, make this commitment and remember to put God first. So these bracelets, they were cool. Like, what was this, back in the 90s? What was the Livestrong era? Remember that? When, when, uh, before we realized that Lance is human, you know? <laughs> Lots of grace for Lance, but before he was human, we were all wearing like yellow bracelets and stuff, and, and then everyone had a bracelet, every company, every nonprofit, you know, every cause, and then we got sick of them. And, and then we were going to get cloth ones just to be different, but they're too expensive, and so we're cheap here. So we're, um, we're going retro, restoration. We're, we're, uh, we're going silicone again. So uh, you, you hopefully received one of these as you came in. If you're willing to commit with us to put God first by praying first, by making it your top priority, the next 21 days. I want to invite you to put the bracelet on and to wear it as a reminder. Will you do that? Okay. Because again, we pray first, we put God first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that what you're inviting to us, us to is uh, the satisfaction of our souls. 
Nothing satisfies us like you. We were made for union with you. And so I pray that in these next 21 days, we experience this deep, deep, abiding union with you. That our identity is shaped more than ever before by the fact that we have been adopted. We were orphans, but we have been adopted back into your family. You chose us because you love us so much. We are your beloved children. And you want to give us heaven now and heaven in the future. And you're so dedicated to us more than anyone else. And so we want to dedicate our lives to you because we believe you're the source of life. And so please revive our faith, revive our church, and may it spill over into our community, our city, and our world. And all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name.